rare Sutek. The world is facing the greatest peril in its history. I am Sutek the Destroyer. Where I tread, I leave nothing but dust and darkness. Kneel! Kneel before the might of Sutek. Sutek will destroy the world. Not only this world, anywhere that life is found. The gods have returned. I, Ibrahim Namin, servant of the true faith, rejoice in their power. When the temple is cleansed of all unbelievers, the High One himself will come among us. This is how it was written. I have endured an eternity of darkness and impotence. All life is my enemy. All life shall perish under the reign of Sutek the Destroyer. I shall destroy the cosmos! Destroy him. No! The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones, and I would like to start by welcoming back Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you, my friend? Doing well, man. Doing well, as, as always. Glad to be back on Talking Doctor Who, man. Hi, good deal. Glad to have you on. So what's been going on with you? Anything exciting? Not really. Just glad for the warmer weather. I think I'm happy about that. <laughs> I am very happy about the warmer weather. But you know what? I am equally excited and happy that I get to do what I'm about to do because I've been working on it for the past week. Because on social media, someone made a comment on a comment that said, Kyle might do something about something, and I just went crazy with it. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from all over space and time, cyber controllers and Dalek emperors alike, dignitaries from the forest of Cheem, Lady Trout and the esteemed members of the Assassin's Guild, Starfleet, Starlight, first star I've seen tonight. From Baker Street to Hickory, I promise no trickery. So on behalf of Mr. Dupree, the Schumachers, Prithvi and Nadia, This is Nadia from the Relativity. Long may she digitize. Allow me to present to you the Hugo Award-nominated writer, producer, and co-star of the Relativity podcast, Lee Shackelford. How goes the You day? are very, very funny. Thank you, sir. <laughs> well, I was wondering where you... What, How is that for an introduction? Were you introducing Lee or Daenerys Targaryen? <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> You're the one that put yeah. that in my head, Mr. Brown. You said something <laughs> I, to the effect of, uh, I'm sure Kyle will come up with something or something to the effect. <laughs> That's right. And he did. Yeah. All I said was just be sure to say Hugo nominee. Down, got it. So I did, but and yeah. I did. I said, you let me did. say it again. It was in there. Allow somewhere. me yeah. to present yeah. to you the Hugo <laughs> Award-nominated okay. writer, producer, and co-star of the Relativity yes. Podcast, Lee Shackelford. How goes the day? And here I am, really, really uh, great. You guys have both had your second, uh, second shots, right? Indeed. Yeah. Was it? Was it? Uh, Pfizer or Moderna? I forgot. I had Moderna. I had the Pfizer. Okay. And what say ye? And, uh, I'm getting my, and I'm getting number two tomorrow, and it's 
Pfizer. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a little concerned for our friend, Mr. Brown, because um, people I know who have gotten their butts kicked by shot number two have been taking Moderna well, vaccine. Well, Kyle took Pfizer and he his proverbial butt was kicketh. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. It's not exclusive. And everybody's different. It seems to be kind of random. Anyway, it'll it'll be, I, I think I, I really wanted to bring it up, uh, not only because genuinely, I just want to <laughs> say publicly, I, I really hope you're going to be okay, Clarence, and you probably are. Thank you, sir. But, uh, and even if it, uh, uh, if you have nasty side effects, uh, everybody says it's over. Yeah, it literally so, is. Yeah, so that's, that's cool, too. It's just, but, um, and it's worth it. But I just think it's going to be interesting. Now that we're, all right, this podcast is five years old. What will it be like five years from now, when I hope we're still doing this, uh, to listen back to this and say, man, we were the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the way that it is with anything? And and, 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 our, and you make a very valid mm. point, but that is what is so cool about c- capturing moments, whether they are photos, whether they are audio, whatever they are, and just be able to go back and time literally i mean we're talking a time travel show but that's really what it is it really is it's our own kind of time travel and it's one of the things you know i teach a a class uh, an introduction to cinema class and of course we start at the beginning and it's one of the things i i try to impress on my students Uh, and i say i know you weren't there i wasn't there either but imagine if all of the pictures that you've ever seen are stationary (laughs) they're paintings they're photographs they're sculpture and now you can go into this room or look into this device and the pictures move (laughs) can you just imagine what that would be like and Mm. uh, you know it's really is hard to get our our heads wrapped around it and that's only you know 120 140 years ago yeah pictures that move kind of sound like a painting called Gallifrey Falls no more no more no more more so well well yeah. cool do we have news do we have feedback do we, we have feedback and not only do we have feedback we have two feedbacks so before we go on so again congratulations all jokes aside before we go on hmm. Hugo award nominated not many people can say that so kudos no. for no. to both of you actually because you both helped create the story that was Hugo Award nominated. So kudos to both of you, but particularly kudos to you. Well, it really is a good point. The show was nominated. So I'm going around saying, you know, Hugo nominated me, but that's not really true. So, I mean, it is my show. And I wrote <laughs> it and everything, but uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, Clarence certainly gets a slice of that. So there you, there go. you go. Well, speaking of a slice of something, Miss Claire Ashton mm. And I so loved this because I had not even had time to post our episode on Facebook. And Claire had already messaged us having listened to our toxic fandom discussion. And she says to us, thank you for the excellent episode on toxic fandoms. You all voiced many of the feelings on the subject and encapsulated encapsulated the reason I haven't thrown myself into many fan groups or forums. Keep up the good work and use the force to fight the dark, toxic side. (laughs) Cheers, cheers. Well said. Cool. Yeah. 
And Clarence, I think you also released a version of that, and I'm glad you did on discussing Trek because it was your idea and your writings that gave me the idea to even do the episode. So I was so psyched to hear that you had done that and put some more info at the beginning, I think. Yeah, yeah. I just had a few more minutes of me rambling about various <laughs> stuff that I, you know, wrote over a year ago. But it's awesome that uh, we actually talked about this and that people actually felt connected to the words we were saying because I feel like it's something that's hidden, hitting every fandom uh, at different degrees. So I'm glad they gravitated with, with some of our listeners. Some, me too. Absolutely me too. Yeah, and, you know, I, I said in my response to Claire that I am 99.9% proud of everything that we do because, you know, you can always be better. But that particular episode, I'm a thousand percent proud of because I think we were honest, we were real, and we talked about things like you just said, Clarence, that resonate throughout not just Doctor Who, but a lot of other fandoms. Indeed. Second part of feedback that we have comes from Mr. Frank Franks. And he says that he is going back and listening to some of the older episodes of Discussing Who currently. He's enjoying the ones of Martha Jones in that time frame now. He says that she was an excellent companion who he wished had been around longer. But her Torchwood appearances were very exciting to see. Yeah, that's, that's awesome because I need to go back and watch Torchwood again because I've only ever seen it once. I loved it, but I only watched it once, so... That's definitely on on my bucket list to go back and watch and, you know, see some more Martha. Likewise. That's right. Yeah. So what about you, Lee? Have you are you a one time Torchwooder or have you gone back and watched again? I have seen it all through once. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, same same thing. I I there I I've been saying I need to go back and look at all that again. And likewise for Just me. Haven't done it. Likewise for me. Yeah. Hmm. And you know, okay. we've had an offline discussion that I don't mind sharing here with everyone that's listening. You know, we've had the discussion of, hey, we're about to get into series seven and we've already reviewed series 11. We've, you know, done series 12 and we've had the offline discussion that there's always something Doctor Who to review. There's nothing written that says that we can't go back and at some point review Torchwood because that's in the Doctor Who universe. We can we can that's only true. do what we say we're going to. And if we say it, we can make it true. <laughs> there you go. That's true. Yeah. So Clarence, have a question for you. If we have someone who is listening to us for the very first time and has just found us on the internet, what could you tell them that they might want to do to make sure that they get to listen to all of our episodes? Yeah, be sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are currently listening on, first of all. And also, you know, if you want to hit us up with some feedback, you can always do that by hitting us up at Discussing Who on any and all of the social medias, as well as sending an email to discussingwho at gmail.com. Awesome. And if you're listening for the first time, thank you. You got other things you could be doing, and you have, for some mysterious reason, chosen this. And we, we're very grateful. Oh, yeah. Indeed. And what we are very grateful for also is a gentleman by the name of Matthew Turnage. And mm. we are reviewing <clears throat> this based on feedback from Matthew. So this is perfect examples of you give us feedback, we listen to you. So this episode is 
from Matthew. But before we get into the review, I want to also mention that Matthew suggested a secondary that we might not want to do because it was seven episodes, which is Inferno. I went back and watched Inferno over the weekend, and while I enjoyed what we're about to review, I think I enjoyed Inferno more. Interesting. Mm. And I had fun with this. I loved what we were about to review, but for seven episodes, I watched one episode, no, I watched two episodes on Friday night, two episodes on Saturday, three episodes on Sunday to, you know, finish it off. And I did not get bored. I thought it was well paced. And I would actually recommend us some point in the future reviewing that because I thought it was quite good. Awesome. Yeah. And like, like Torchwood, I'm pretty sure I've only seen it once. I don't think I've ever gone back to look at Inferno. So, uh, well, take yeah. it from me. I thought it was good. And I would go ahead and I say do. that I would probably give it a 4.5 to a 4.75. Yeah, I enjoyed it that much. 4.5 uh, Brigadier Ice. Yes, yes. Without the mustache, even. <laughs> so, what we yeah. are reviewing tonight without further delay is the Pyramids of Mars. So I have to say, if you have not seen the Pyramids of Mars, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Affirmative. Spoilers. Spoilers? What spoilers? And I killed Sparky, too. Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review The Pyramids of Mars. This is a four-part Fourth Doctor story, first broadcast between the 25th of October and the 15th of November, 1975. It starred Tom Baker as the Fourth Doctor and Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane Smith. I think it is appropriate that we're visiting this episode or this story today or from this time frame of Doctor Who because today is the 20th of April, which is one day past April 19th, 2021, which marks the 10-year passing since the death of Elizabeth Sladen. So why don't we say that this is dedicated, this review, in memory of Elizabeth Sladen? Yes, sir. So... Gentlemen, summary view. And Lee, I'll start with you. Summary view. What did you think? I hadn't seen this in a while, and it was great fun to revisit it. It's uh, This is uh, the 13th season. It is famously the monster movie season, you know, of classic Who. Um, Philip Hinchcliffe wanted to do a whole season that would draw its inspirations from great horror films of Universal and Hammer Studios and others. Films like the mummy <laughs> and and of course this season culminates in my favorite classic who's serial brain of morbius which is pretty transparently frankenstein so it, i just love this whole season these this uh, four-part story is one of the highlights awesome yeah. clarence brown um for me i think i enjoyed it um i didn't feel like like i have for a lot of these classics i didn't feel like it was necessarily slow although there are a few exceptions i guess but for the most part i really enjoyed it i I enjoyed it for various things that 
I felt were kind of core to Doctor Who that were brought up in this story, like alternative time. Um, I love the pro- the projection in the TARDIS, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. You know, just the general sci-fi concepts of this base on another planet that's holding this guy or this, you know, being in this tomb. So I enjoyed all that. And I, I think I, I think I liked it. I think I liked it. I haven't felt settled on a, <laughs> on a score yet, but I, I think I enjoyed it. Let's see how the review goes. Maybe you can raise my raise me up just a little bit more. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm interested to see what your thoughts are because now you've made me inter- – you both have made me interested, but I'm particularly interested in your thoughts, Clarence. But for me, I think this – while I enjoyed it, and yes, I agree, there are several things from Doctor Who lore that I – love and there is particularly something that we're going to touch on that I really really enjoyed so there's a lot of things to love in this story the only thing that I would say held me back from just really 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 loving this is I did feel that this could have been a three-parter that would have worked super Superiorly well. Now I don't know if that's a word, but I'll use it. But it would have worked. Thank you, sir. It would have worked awesomely, or whatever that. So it would have worked Mm -hmm. really, really well if it would have been three episodes, in my opinion. But I'm curious to see what you guys think. But that's my summary view: is I enjoyed it, but I'm eager to get into it. And what better way to get into it is by going into the opening scene. So, Clarence, I want to start this one with you. We see this. We see this archaeological. We see this dig based in Egypt, 1911, and they're doing this reference to Egyptian mythology and all that good stuff. What did you think of the opening of placing this back in Egypt? Uh, I found it interesting um, for. Fans of Stargate, we can, you know, I'm getting ahead a little bit, but we can think of this whole uh, Sutek thing as a lot of the reasoning we get for a lot of the gods in Egypt, cult, Egyptian lore, uh, mythology, uh, as as in, in Stargate, it's all aliens. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I really liked how we talked about this, this, I guess, on Discussing Trek last night, but I like how, in a sense, it's retconning history with you know, a bit of alien involvement. So I love that. And yeah, yeah, I think it was a great uh, way to kick off this four-parter. Lee, what about you? What do you think? Um, oh, I just love it. Um, it, it is when people criticize uh, Classic Who for its uh, sometimes hastily prepared sets or things like that, uh, special effects that are not what, what we would think they could be. It does make me sad that the very first thing we see in the episode proper is somebody moving a stone away from the door, and it's pretty clearly made of styrofoam. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, we're off to a good start here. <laughs> but the moment passes, and we get into uh, the the old uh, science versus religion thing that uh, Doctor Who likes to get into. He calls the natives, uh, calls them superstitious. Yeah. And uh, and then immediately gets zapped by a green ray. It's like, uh, there. <laughs> they were right, weren't they? <laughs> well, you're running. <laughs> yeah. Well, because. Yeah. And, of course, we have no idea what the, the green light is that has uh, knocked him down. But he's very different when we see him next. So um, it's not good. Oh, yeah. And it, that's a very intriguing entry to the story. And then we go right into the TARDIS. 
and we see, I guess this is how the doctor sleeps. It's not something we ever really see, is it? <laughs> so, but he's... Was he asleep? He's just standing there. Well, he's got his eyes closed, and um, mm. he, he, he raises his head and sort of looks around like, where am I? You know? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's always the way that's read to me. And that would just be something that Tom did. It's, it's not in the script. He yeah. was contemplating the Matrix. Well, <clears throat> well, from, As one from, from my point of view, um, so first of all, let me just admit, that shot of him just standing there and then the pullback, mm-hmm. that just felt iconic to me. Like the pose, yep. and it was just perfect as he raises up his head and tilts his hat a little bit. <laughs> I really love that. But it felt like to me he was having a midlife crisis. I mean, speaking of, speaking of the brigadier, um, you know, he kind of mentions that, you know, is that, that what I'm here for? Just to help out the brigadier when he's in trouble. And <laughs> so I really, it really, to me, it felt like it pitted it as him being at an impasse of I'm middle aged and what, what to do next, you know? That's that's what he says. He says, I'm 750. And she says, oh, yeah, you're barely middle age. He says, well, that's what I mean. <laughs> you know, from, from her perspective, that's fantastically old. But he's saying, I'm just starting out. I, I got other things I could be doing. But the cool thing, Clarence, that you noticed that, because in reality, mm-hmm. that is what was going on in the story per se behind the scenes is we had gone the whole tenure of the third doctor's tenure as unit you know we're we're all about unit we are on the earth we can't travel like we used to we're unit and then here comes the fourth doctor and this is that separation from unit kind of solidified because i don't think after this lee correct me if i'm wrong he doesn't go back to unit after that until the fifth doctor i think you're right Hmm. so that was quite literal that it was a like a midlife crisis of what do I want to do kind of thing. (laughs) And speaking of iconic, that scene between he and Sarah Jane is one of the scenes that you see when you see montages of the Doctor, especially for the fourth Doctor, you have that exchange between him and saying, oh, I'm 750 years old, middle-aged. You know, that's one of the iconic fourth Doctor scenes. Hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I didn't think about it in this perspective until you said it, but if this is a, a tipping point for the doctor, he's about to break away from unit and uh, be able to get back to the time and space traveler that he was before, only now he has much better control of the TARDIS than he used to once he once he got his, uh, once the, he got the keys to the car back. Um, and um, and so we're, we're sort of thinking about the future and thinking about the past. And then Sarah comes in wearing one of Vicky's yeah. dresses. Yeah, I like to think we're calling up, you know, uh, Jenna Coleman there. Uh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, because uh, she she may not know that he used to travel with somebody named Victoria. But so she he says, yeah, I traveled with Victoria for a time. And he says, well, as long as Albert didn't want to see Great joke. Yeah, that, that's that's not the Victoria he means, but it's a great joke for her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. That's where the smile is. Yes, indeed. And I thought yeah. that, you, you know, they're going back, even though she's wearing that in the TARDIS, it kind of fits a little bit for where they're going going Mm -hmm. yeah so what did you guys think of this sutek vision this jackal appearing materializing within the tardis basically at the same time this cave is open this dig has you know 
unveiled this green energy. What did you think of this? And Lee, why don't you start this? It's a great way to get us into the story. Um, she says she's seen this thing, and the doctor has to do a 180 in mid-sentence. He says, nothing can get into the TARDIS. <laughs> Unless. <laughs> yeah, but that would take a colossal amount of power. And he's scared. This is, this is not good. He, he knows that she didn't make that up. So we're in big trouble. The story is told that uh, Patty Kingsland, the director, that she she had pictures of different uh, uh, visualizations of Sutek, and she showed them to Elizabeth Sladen one by one. And she she showed one, and uh, Elizabeth Sladen apparently made a face or something, and she said, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> so she that image is the one that uh, Patty Kingsland chose after Elizabeth Sladen kind of gasped or jumped or something when she saw it. So. That's called market research. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's arrive at the house that they arrive in. A cool unit tie-in was this is the land that will and the location that will be the future location of unit, which I call that as reusing the set that we've used before and just draping it up a little bit more. But... Once they arrive, they meet two people, or one person particularly, Namen. What did you think, uh, Clarence, of the gentleman by the name of Namen, who they had referred to as the Egyptian who has come in and taken over? So he falls in the category of a lot of henchmen, I guess, because he's following this thing or this cult i guess we could say but i don't know if we know the real reason why is this tied to his personal religion or because it's an egyptian god like why why is he so um indoctrinated um, other than the possibility that there has been scripture writings that he's been been listening to so i guess this could be just a prophecy fulfilled he may have mentioned that in episode but i, I did find the character believable and, you know, short-lived, but uh, <laughs> believable. <laughs> All right. Lee, what about you? Mm. Well, I, my note about him was that uh, that's a British actor named Peter Mayock. So this is arguably a little more white-facing, like um, mm. Talons of Wing Chiang. <laughs> um, you couldn't find an Egyptian actor to play nothing, you know. Um, <clears throat> but it is interesting that he's there, you know, uh, playing the organ like um, the Phantom of the Opera or, or Captain Nemo. And uh, so, yeah, you were expecting he's going to be the big bad in this episode. And then Sutek shows up and kills him. I mean, uh, Scarman shows up and kills him. So, okay, I guess not. <laughs> Great cliffhanger. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It really is. Uh, I bring you death. Um, if it's not, I, I would like to back up a little bit, if oh, you don't please. mind, and talk about yes. um, the, the, the priory where we, where we show up here. It's... Um, but when we see it from the outside, it's um, it's an estate called Stargrove that at the time belonged to Mick Jagger. Hmm. And, um, you know, he's not living there. And um, so it was being let out to lots of film uh, enterprises. And uh, the BBC shot a lot of stuff there. So this is one of the many times you'll see uh, Stargrove on camera. Um, they did not burn it down at the end. <laughs> That's actually, you know, sometimes you want to say that the the miniatures are the uh, often the downfall of uh, Doctor Who, but that's a that's a cutout at least, or a very beautiful miniature. I'd like to know more about it of uh, of of Stargrove, which is you know very complex looking building. It's 
funny that you said that because I had to go back. I went back yeah. and looked at that twice because I was curious, mm-hmm. thinking to myself, is this they're, they're not going to be using this place and they're burning it down or is this a miniature? So you're <laughs> right. They did do that quite well. They really did. No, Stargrove is still there. And um, I, I got curious and looked it up online and uh, somebody bought it not too long ago for 15 million pounds. So, um, which, you know, you look at it, that seems about right, <laughs> doesn't it? But, um, yeah, and the Priory doesn't look anything like what we'll see as unit headquarters later. Uh, so that, that explains that. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's nothing left of it. Um, but I, I really love this. Um, in this show, we're always traveling in time and in space. My introduction to time travel was, of course, H.G. Wells' well, The Time Machine. And the time machine of H.G. Wells, who will get name-checked later on in this yeah. episode, um, he, uh, it does not travel in space. We travel 800,000 years uh, back and forth in, the, in that book, but we're in the same place. And I always thought that was one of the coolest ideas of the whole thing. And so this is one of those times where they have we just we just did a story where they've come to the right time and the right place, but they're the wrong size. <laughs> right. Yeah. This time they've come to the right place, but they're in the wrong time. Mm. And I just love that. Um, the uh, they, they were they were just going back to unit HQ, but they got there before it existed. That's that just I always just love that. Mm. So, so that's a cool thing. Anyway, that's no, that's that that is quite cool. And I'll tell you what scares mm. me just thinking about traveling only in time, not also in space, mm. is the idea of I'm sitting here, wherever here is, and I travel forth 40 years, 400, 4,000, or I travel back mm-hmm. 40, 400, 4,000. What if there was a tree right where I'm at in either one of those yep. directions? Now I'm half tree or in the middle of a tree. Well, Kyle, obviously right. the safety protocols would not allow you to do that. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. Your, your time machine uh, has to have thought about that in oh. advance, <laughs> but uh, I guess. But yeah, no, in uh, in H.G. Wells, in the time machine, uh, the, our time traveler, um, at one point, the sun and the stars just go away and he realizes he is inside a mountain. Oh. And really all he can do is just keep going forward at the super speed that he is and wait for erosion to pull the mountain back oh, down again. So cool. He knows that after, yeah. And then suddenly, you know, the, the sun, uh, the sun comes through again. And uh, yeah, yeah. The nineteen sixty film, the Time Machine, the George Powell film, does a great job of that whole business with the the mountain forming around him. But you you still have to ask the same question: if he's only in our time for split seconds, you know, because he's speeding through the future, I do think the mountain would form in the actual physical space where he is. <laughs> so I think that, I think your, your thing about the tree is, is probably right. I think that would kill him. Mm. That would be the end of the story. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that obviously tells you I haven't watched or read that book. You know, I'm, yeah. I, um, so that, that was a real question I had, not just me trying to be meta. It, it, no, it's a good thing to think about, you know, yeah. See, you, you got to think about this with the, you know, the, the transporter, the Star Trek transporter as well. It's like, boy, we're cutting that fine just to get people's shoes on the ground <laughs> instead of not six inches into the ground. You know, it's got to, uh, yeah. So. Oh. oh, a quick comment on the projection in the TARDIS. Um, it reminded me, because uh, there are very few instances where we get this right. 
We got it in Kerblam or something in the TARDIS. Seems like we got it in the episode we recently reviewed. I can't remember the name of it. But I know what you're talking about, and I don't remember it too, but there were beings coming in. This was in the 12th series, and there were beings coming through the TARDIS door. Yeah, the light beings. I can't remember what episode that is. Yeah, but I know what you're talking about. And you're right, but I just don't remember the name of it. Hmm. Yeah, but I did find that interesting. And of course, like Lee said, it causes the TARDIS to get knocked off course. Well, not off course, off time. <laughs> right. Well, before we move on, I want to make a reference. We were talking about the changing of the henchmen. We go from, you know, Nauman and we go to Scarman, you know, for the professor right in the middle of the story. That reminded me of how we kind of went in an alternate direction with Mr. Sin and the Talons of Wang Chiang. You know, we have that halfway through moment where things just kind of kind of transition with the bad guys. And, you know, the Mm -hmm. guy that was supposedly the big bad turns out to be the lesser bad, so to speak. Yeah. 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 Uh, And this is the same writer. So that's I guess that's sort of a. Uh, a signature of his that he, he likes to pull a switcheroo on. Yeah. And they also pull a, um, a, a Sith thing that can only be a master and apprentice. <laughs> it was, I thought it was interesting, even though this is before Star Wars, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Yep. So Lee, I thought particularly of you, actually I thought of both of you, but Lee, I heard you, I think say this first. So that's why I, thought of you first with this one. You have often made the reference of don't tell me, show me. And we used a particular item that happened or was told in the most recent Doctor Who New Year's Day special with Captain Jack about don't tell us, show (laughs) us. One of my favorite parts of this entire story was... When Sarah suggests that they should just leave in the TARDIS because they Mm. know that the world did not end in 1911, and then the doctor demonstrates otherwise by moving the TARDIS back to 1980, and there the TARDIS doors open, and then there's like thunder, lightning, wilderness, hammering down, and there's ash and all that good stuff. I just thought that that was so cool, and I want to know what you guys think. What did you guys think? And again, they have not moved in space. All he's done is taken them back to the year 1980, right there where unit headquarters should be. Mm. And now it isn't. And my understanding is that this was a specific ask of a producer for the season of Philip Hinchcliffe, that he said it is that the, the show was getting mail, you know, and that this is something that had bugged him too. That we're always saying that if we don't solve this problem, you know, that's happening in the 18th century or whatever, then there'll be grave consequences. And a lot of people, thoughtful people who are watching the show, had said what Sarah says. They said, well, but we know that didn't happen, you know? And so this answers that once and for all. And it does. It, it establishes a precedent. The doctor says there are things in time that can be changed. And what's happened here is that if we don't go back and fix this, this is what 1980 is going to be. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, we'd better go back then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Everything everything Lee said, um, seeing this alternative time in action was well worth it. <laughs> and it may be one of my highlights of the episode. It just it, it it allowed us to see the gravity of the situation. You know, to me, it raised the stakes a whole lot more versus them just saying it 
you know, it's a throwaway line most of the time, but you know, he, he takes, takes Aaron shoulder and it's, I think it's wonderful. Well, you know, think of it, you know, literally, if I know that what I am doing and, and maybe it doesn't make a difference, maybe I'm wrong here, but if I would think if I know that what I am doing is maintaining the status quo, that to me is maybe just a little bit less investment, no matter how big I think the status quo is and it should be kept. If I know that what I am doing is preventing something else from occurring, I think even subconsciously I have a little bit more investment if I know that what I knew was gone rather than me preserving what already is. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and think of how many times on the show we've had to say, well, if we don't fix this, then all the future will be ruined. Well, we'll, we'll take your word for it. <laughs> but this time he opens the door and says, that's what's going to happen. And you're right. Don't don't explain it to me. Show me. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, let's go this back. This is bad. <laughs> Sheesh, yeah, this is clearly really bad. We so. went back to 1988. Biff ruined everything, so we had to go get the almond. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, it was Agatha all along. But, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, you know, the, I, I think this is kind of a – maybe this is too big of a stretch, but I think this is this is sort of what you're saying, Kyle, is that um, um, I, I – I'm a, a little bit older than you guys, and I'm wondering is the is the is the sort of generational break told by the fact that I have a scar on my arm where they gave me the smallpox vaccination, mm. and you may not. I may not because I don't remember. I was 73, so maybe I don't. Okay, yeah, I think that was after the inoculation stopped. So I know Clarence won't have that. No, definitely not. The child, and and I just saw. A, a, I thought a really nice. Uh, cartoon about this the other day mom and daughter talking and daughter saying mom what's that on your arm so that's my smallpox scar the scar from my smallpox vaccination and the daughter says why don't i have one and mom says because it worked mm. oh. and, and and you know that was it was a killer i mean and, and mine was the last generation for whom that was a threat and so now yeah it all you, you could say that but Thank God we didn't see the the, the the possible future where half the people on the planet were killed by smallpox, because <laughs> um, mm. we fixed it and it didn't happen. But you know what? Let so. me let me go meta real quick, if you don't mind, and say Ooh. something to tie into what we were saying at the very beginning. You know, it is a good feeling about human perseverance and human ingenuity because we're talking about things that happened decades ago that all children had mm -hmm. this, you know, basically scar, as you're saying, to prevent yeah. something. And the reason why that it is no more needed or it is no longer needed is because it worked. Now, let's go to present time. And a year ago, we're sitting here on Tuesdays recording this podcast talking about being in lockdown and get being in mm -hmm. a global pandemic and hoping everyone stays safe. Fast forward into the future, we're into talking a couple of episodes ago about Lee not having access to get the vaccine. And we say we're going to move space and time to get it. Space and time <laughs> has right. moved and you're getting it. Your second dose tomorrow. Here we are. I just think that that is a good testament of human ingenuity and perseverance that we can 
just in our own collective lifetimes, have those two things as an example, B- bad, but also good. So that's right. Not bad, but not as bad as it Yes, could indeed. Because we had a doctor, yeah. literally. That's right. <laughs> All right. So let's segue out of that and get into what I think may be a deep question, but I'm going to go there. So here is my question. What is evil? Yeah. Uh, Sutek is known by, by many names, and you heard the doctor mention very briefly that one of them is Satan. Mm-hmm. So, so the answer is Sutek. <laughs> All evil comes from Sutek. <laughs> um, but what is evil? Yeah, what is evil? Um, it is, um, we, it is a, a cultural concept that we agree upon is uh, when somebody does something that benefits only themselves and hurts others. Okay, good. Clarence, I want one from you, and I'll I wrote, get one I wrote too. a play about this a long time ago, so that was the, that was the definition we used in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. All right, Clarence, what do you say? What is evil? A person or a thing that is is contrary to the agreed moral compass of the earth or community or whatever place the evil is, you know, doing their deed, I guess. Which is a bad definition, but that's, no, that's what no, I got. No, because I'm giving this, there's no bad definition because I'm giving this to you guys without any forewarning. And for me, yeah. I'm going to say evil is, and I'm, and this is going to sound cliche, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. Evil is the opposite of good. And I only say that because I want to bring in something that Sutath said that spurred me to say that question or ask that question to begin with, the doctor is saying what he says and he responds by saying, your evil is my good. Yeah. Mm. And I'm not saying he's right. Please don't under, you know, think that that's what I'm meaning right. by that. But that is what he says. But that is what he and says. And his agenda is, his agenda has a little touch of Thanos in it too. I mean, his goal is to be the only being left in all of space and time. He wants to kill everybody. Well, him and Davros yeah. would get along. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it. I really would like to put him and Davros in the same room, decide which one of them gets to survive, um, especially if they annihilate each other in the process. Um, so is, yeah. is Suteth <laughs> evil or is Suteth insane? <sighs> yeah, if you put him on trial, would you say, this is what happens when you take an Osiren and lock him away for, what, what was it, uh, 10,000 years. Don't and know. I don't either. Don't and, and Because we, we, we only have the story of the reason why he was locked away in there in the first place. Right. He may have been an innocent man when they put... You know, this is why I think there are stories that are so good that you can have a conversation. And Clarence, I think you and I had a conversation. Maybe it was when we did Falcon and Winter Soldier review for discussing comics where I said something similar. But it's when you can have a conversation and there's no right or wrong answer, but it makes you think. And that's what what this one did for me was when he said the doctor had done his speech and all of that, and he responds not with, I'm going to kill you, ha, 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 or something like that. It's, your evil is my good. And it was like, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you're right, but everything is all perspective. Yeah, but when you're putting, when you're choosing the faith of some, the fate of another being without their consent, I think almost in any, any circumstance we could say that is probably bad. 
Agreed. Agreed. And again, I, I think I may be presenting this as I think Sudeth was right. I am so not. I, I'm, I'm really just saying that I just I've I found that it made me think about how. Okay, so let let me put it in this context: how we in a polarized society, unfortunately, that we live in today, we don't see people as having different opinions. And I'm guilty of this. You know, I will look at somebody that doesn't think the way I do and have a, you know, thinking them as, okay, those evil people, whatever they are, all they do is think and believe differently than I do on some key issues and politics or whatever. But my brain says evil. That's what I guess that this made me think about or was, was it like a wake-up call to remember what is evil and that perspective. That's what I'm meaning. I'm not meaning that Suteth in any way was right because he was as crazy as a loon. <laughs> yeah. You mean Suteth the Destroyer? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And be careful who you're talking about. Yeah. If you call yourself Sutek the Destroyer, <laughs> if that's on your business cards. <laughs> he doesn't have them. He destroyed them all. Uh, In the, but, you know, you remind me of one of my favorite, one of the moments where I, I, I think I decided that John Byrne was not just my favorite comic book artist, but my favorite science fiction writer was the, the, the Fantastic Four where uh, a, beings from all over the universe got together and put Galactus on trial. And the entities that were making a defense for him said, all of us, even those of us who eat plants, you eat only plants, we survive on lower life forms. Mm-hmm. That's all the Galactus does. From his point of view, that's all he's doing. He's just trying to stay alive like anybody else. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh, that's annoying because that makes sense. Yow. He was hungry. Yep. Literally. He's hungry. Yeah. It's a crime to be hungry. Well, he he kills billions of people every time. Yeah, but we're we're bacteria to him. Yeah. We 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 kill countless things every time we eat. So <laughs> Yeah. And and I think for us our measure is like intelligence, you know. But to Galactus, we're just mm-hmm. like, you know, dumb <laughs> little um, Right. Yeah. Wow, that now that makes me think. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it really is something to think about. <laughs> Especially if you put Sutek so, so up yeah. there at that level. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm with you now, Cal. <laughs> see? See? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, that's the good. great beauty burn, or whether it's these writers that did this. It's yeah. the fact that we can sit here and debate for five minutes, not talking about a point in the story, but a concept presented in the story. Yeah, but but... The, right. If I'll also add real quick, even uh, Sutek's people, the Sir- Sirens, also thought he was bad. And, you know, hence being locked away um, all this time by Horace and the crew. <laughs> so, Well, that's the story we have now. But, you know, none of them are around to back that up. We don't. True. Know. True. Good point. I'm just trying to be. <laughs> this this will be my career uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a parallel universe is that I'll be the defense attorney creatures like Galactus and <laughs> to play devil's advocate here. <laughs> yeah. Just let me play. But I think that would be the devil's advocate. That <laughs> quite literal, literally <laughs> quite literal devil's. But advocate. I think there is a difference between Galactus's 
need to feed. If I weigh that against, Matthew's so going to love this. If I weigh that (laughs) against this being's desire to make sure nothing else could ever challenge his superiority, there is a fundamental difference in the intent there. Yeah, I agree. So for the defense, the prosecution has rested. (laughs) I'll allow it. All right. So I want to move on to our back to Sarah Jane for a moment. And one of the things that I loved about this came in the third of the four part story. And it is a very huge shift away from the damsel in distress. And I think is a good, wonderful beautiful example of why Sarah Jane was so endeared to so many. We don't see her cowering in the TARDIS, screaming left, right, and center. We see her picking up a gun and shooting it. I just love that. Thoughts? And, and having and having a gun doesn't make you tough, but um, the I, I'm glad you brought it up because I remember that um, you and I are, are big uh, uh, Sarah Jane Smith fans, and we were going to try to turn Clarence on to Sarah. And what what did we watch? Brains and Brains and Morbius. Morbius. Yeah, that was the first one. Yeah. After which Clarence said, "Meh." And and I had to admit, okay, that's not a good one to show you. Um, (laughs) Hang on, we're gonna find gonna find a better one. But it really made me think. What is it? It's not just that Elizabeth Sladen was just as cute as a button. She is just adorable and so tiny. I keep forgetting how tiny she was. She's got Victoria's dress on, but she's got shoes with lifts in them. She's got about an inch on those shoes. Um, And sometimes the camera still has trouble getting her and Tom Baker in the same shot. But Robert Holmes, who wrote this, and Elizabeth Sladen are a terrific team. He knew how to write for her, and she knew how to fill his writing in. I feel like a lot of screenwriters got Sarah Jane wrong, and they missed out. Um, we didn't really get her in uh, Genesis of the Daleks, I think. I think Terry Nation didn't know what to do with it. Robert Holmes has got her. She's she's funny. Yes. She's, she's witty and she's quick. And she is not intimidated by the fact that the doctor's a 750-year-old Time Lord. She's making she's very close to making mm-hmm. fun of him in that first scene. And she just is who she is. And she rolls with it. And, and I just love that. And even, even when their lives are in danger... She doesn't lose her sense of humor. And sometimes when he, when he's getting dark, she'll jolly him out of it, which we've, the three of us have said many times before, this is what the companions are there for, yeah. mm. is to remind the doctor why these things matter. And sometimes I think nobody does this better than Sarah. And I, I, I saved some snippets of dialogue to share later, but she gets some of the best lines and and Elizabeth Sladen just makes them sound like that's what she would say. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's that character. That's so this episode. If, if if there's one shining thing about Pyramids of Mars that I would point out, I hope Matthew agrees. One of the the main things to love about this is that this is prime Sarah Jane. This is the essence of what I love about Sarah Jane. Okay, so share some of those tidbits with us. Uh, I love this this whole conversation where they're trying to diffuse the thing on the the, the uh, force field. No obvious booby traps. Are you going to help me? Or are you just going to stand there and admire the scenery? <laughs> Your shoes need repairing. <laughs> That's the first thing out of her mouth. Your shoes need repairing. 
I actually wasn't admiring the scenery. I was waiting for you to tell me what to do. Well, just hold the base. I don't want it to fall. Is it dangerous? Very dangerous. Deactivating a generator loop without the correct key is like repairing a watch with a hammer and chisel. One false move and you'll never know the time again. Huh. Any more comforting thoughts? <laughs> yes. Just let me know if it starts to get warm. Don't worry, you'll hear me breaking the sound barrier. <laughs> Great. And he, when they're when they're in the uh, in the temple uh, inside the pyramid, uh, trying to figure out how to get through the the death traps and so on, and he does some lightning math in his head. And she says, "Show off." Background. <laughs> um, they're explaining um, that they are from the future to um, Lawrence Scarman. He says, "That's preposterous," and she says. Yeah, sorry. And of course, after d doing the the, uh, the doctor up as the robot, he says, how do I look? And she says, hmm, must have been a nasty accident. Yes, that's the one I got down. It was so great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't provoke me. He says, <laughs> just, just them playing with each other. They're just... Yeah. And, and I'll add for me that that was the best parts of Sarah Jane in this episode to me. She, she is headstrong, which I really loved. As mm -hmm. they kind of move from set piece to set piece, I, I feel like a lot of the time it's her pushing the envelope. You know, let's go search over here. Let's do this. Yeah. And I really yeah. love that she was taking charge a lot in this four-parter. And also, like you just, just mentioned, Lee, the wit, the she's so well-written in this four-parter, the comebacks. Um, you really feel like her and the doctor are close friends. You never feel like she's just there with him, with the doctor. They're, no, they're friends. They're traveling together. And it doesn't feel That's, manufactured that, at all. And see, I would love for you now, Clarence, to go back and watch School Reunion after having this experience mm. of watching this and see that in a different light, having this appreciation that you just voiced. I think that would give you a different opinion and appreciation just for that little scene. Don't have to watch the whole thing, but just that yeah. scene where she turns around and there is the doctor and they have that two minute conversation. I, I, I'm, you know, ask you, go back, just watch those two minutes and <laughs> let us know if that changes your appreciation in any way. And think about all that you know about um, the, the different doctors. Now, yeah now in their order because um the last doctor that she the last time she saw him this was the face yeah it's, it's tom baker you know and so then in school reunion she says to david Tennant, <laughs> you've regenerated it's <laughs> kind of funny he says oh i've regenerated a half dozen times since i saw you <laughs> no this isn't yeah i'm not five i'm ten. Four. Four. yeah well yeah yeah, yeah I'm not well, well actually what, i mean he's, he's saying i'm not saying Four, but I don't know if they were counting. I mean, five, but I don't know if they were counting, you know, five doctors. But anyway. Right. All right. That's right. So let, yeah. Best to forget about five doctors. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. But something I yeah. don't want to forget about, because I another thing I've been holding all episode review, and I know we're already <laughs> reached an hour now, so I will move us along. We can talk. The, 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 the serial's two hours okay. long. All right. Well, we'll keep going. <laughs> I'm just saying. So yeah. what did you guys think? We've talked about the main henchman, but the robotic henchman. What did you guys think of those robots? And what were they, by the way? The, the robots, what did they look like? Well, they're supposed to look like mummies. Mummy? Are you my mummy? mummy? You let them bait you in. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Well, kind of, yeah. 
Sorry. But, uh, no, but, that, but that rib cage is, is what people remember that uh, it's really extraordinary. And I don't understand that design. I don't know why they're <laughs> rib cage. Cause in, in silhouette, they look like, um, Mae West or, or somebody, I don't, you know, I don't know, but, um, I should pick a more, <laughs> an example from uh, this century. Uh, anyway, but, um, you know, I, I, I love, I love robots. And uh, so I'll, I'll always enjoy robot servants in a story, but it is the question that gets asked about this serial a lot is why the, 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 the Egyptian fetish thing. Okay. It's Sutek, you know, but all these years have passed. Why does the rocket have to look like a pyramid? Why do the robots have to look like mummies? Why would they, yeah. why would they be mummies? Mm. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't just, yeah. Um, I have a perfect, but, good, but I, perfectly I think good cool. reason why they would be that. Because if that was how they were identified, let's just say, let's take it on the vein of these beings were here two, three, ten thousand years ago, and that is the basis mm. of the Egyptian gods kind of used the Stargate thoughts about that. Well, my logic yeah. says they would come back representing what they did the last time because that would be what they would think they would be known as, maybe. That's right, yeah. But, yeah, and, and so they should look more like me. <laughs> yeah, we'll try that too. Anyway. And, 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 you know, it's one of those ideas that probably looks good on the drawing board, and they figured out how to do it so that these stuntmen can, can move around in it, but they can barely move their arms. And so it, when we get into the pyramid where the two of them are made to fight each other, they're sort of slapping at each other. <laughs> it's, that's, that's kind of disappointing. It's like, oh, dear. You know, I, I, and I know I'm jumping in real quick, but I would be curious to know if that was done since it's a mummified thing and there's really no place for um, them to look around. I'm wondering if that are to breathe, I'm wondering if that was done in part for ventilation in some way. I, I spend a lot of time looking closely at them this time and trying to figure out sort of where the, the actor's head is inside that suit, because I think that part of the, the rib cage and that head does allow you to build up the arms and shoulder, the actor so that you end up with a creature that's a good deal taller than a person without it just looking like they've got something stuck on top of them. But um, when um, they're supposed to be um, uh, wrapping the doctor up, that really is Tom Baker. Mm. Um, something that he did not want to do because there's no reason in the world why they couldn't just use one of the stuntmen who's already wrapped up that. But uh, Patty Kingsland, with whom Tom apparently did not get on, uh, just a sort of a prank on him. She said, no, I think it really has to be the doctor. Oh, you? man. So, yeah. Ma so that's He's him. making his mind today. <laughs> <laughs> he earned it he earned it that during that thing yeah i think that's just kind of i mean no offense to the stuntman but yeah that could have been a stuntman easily yeah yeah and speaking of speaking of stunts i just i wanted to make sure that we, we we talked about that we didn't blow past this moment but when the the poacher shoots scarman and the bullet goes into him and the cloud of smoke goes into yes. him and then it comes back out again it's a great moment and you know all they did was they filmed that and then printed the, that scene backwards right i would assume but after the smoke goes back out of him and presumably the bullet goes back i don't know if it goes back into the rifle or whatever but after the bullet goes back out of him he walks across the room which means that that actor had to start that scene across the room and very confidently walk backwards mm. 
to the mark where he has to stop. And then that squib goes off in his costume to make it look like he's been shot. I'm so glad you're on this podcast because I did not know how they did that. I'm like, that looks like CG. How did... But go ahead. It's, yeah, it's it's actually a pretty simple trick if you, as the actor, can because I um, thank you, by the way. That means that just means the world. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but um, I worked on a film once where we were going to have a lot of things like that with people walking backwards, and uh, the first thing that we found as soon as we tested it was that if we do not look the same walking backwards as we do forwards, hmm. our, our legs and our our center of balance just don't work that way. Um, you can tell when you're shooting somebody walking forward and you just back it up so that it makes them walk backwards, they, it doesn't look natural. And if they try to do it, it doesn't look natural either. And so knowing that I was just agog at this as he w- started walking across the room. I thought if I didn't know that's how they did this, I would never have guessed because his control of walking backwards so confidently, I mean, he could walk into anything, right? But he, he, he's, he's, he just uh, walks with the same pitch of his body as he would if he was going forward. And that's what sells it. That's what makes it look like somehow this bullet, like, like time reversed and the bullet came back. It's, it's just terrific. So, Golf clap for him. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Man. Cool. Um, yeah, because I, I definitely found myself wondering, like, how did they do this? No, yeah. we don't have computers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great... Uh, yeah. Can you imagine seeing that in a, what is this, 1975? 75. 75, yeah. Audiences were saying, whoa, <laughs> they can do anything in Doctor <laughs> Wow. But while we're talking we're talking trivia about stuff, uh, his his brother, uh, Lawrence, is um, Michael Sherd, who is one of those people who, you know, you've seen a lot, but you probably didn't know who he was. And I thought, I know that name. I had to look him up. Um he he has the distinction of being in two uh, uh, George Lucas franchises. Hmm. Uh, he's uh, Admiral Ozel in The Empire Strikes Back, who is one of the admirals on the Imperial Star Destroyer that we see Vader force choking because he's disappointed. And <laughs> so cool. He's just there to demonstrate that you don't, don't, don't disappoint the Dark Lord. Um, so that's, that's him. And um, you'll remember in... Um, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, that uh, Indy has the all-important notebook. And they're at the book burning in Berlin. And he's running, running, and he runs smack into somebody. And he takes a step back, and he sees it's Hitler. He's actually standing there (laughs) with the notebook. And Hitler takes the book and autographs it and hands it back to him. (laughs) Do you remember this business? Hmm. Anyway, that was Michael Schur. That's that's him as Hitler in uh, Last Crusade. Wow. But there's some trivia for you. Cool. Well, you know, is and, and we're talking about this is the guy that played. No, was this the brother or the professor? The brother. Well, for the professor, yeah. I thought, and I think one of you mentioned this earlier, but the very simple technique of putting a little bit of powder on his face and some red mm-hmm. makeup around his eyes was yes. small but very profound to me. It just worked me. You know? And now, now I want to back up in this conversation because you ask what evil is, and the answer obviously is eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> when a dude suddenly has eyeliner like that on, he is now evil. Particularly red eyeliner. Yes. But it did. It just portrayed this, I don't know, it just, just you know, you could have done the black eyes if you would have wanted to. You could have did, mm-hmm. but there was something about the redness of the eyes that just, 
made me think of irritated eyes, but still, yes. you know, it just made me think, <laughs> oh, wow, you're evil. But there was no glowing eyes, nothing. It was just no, no. makeup. And, and, and the, he has that wonderful profile, too. I mean, like, he looks like a, a falcon or something. Yeah. And, and he knows how to use it, you know, for effect. He's, he's, he's really frightening. All I got to say is, how dare they put Bernard Arcard in evil face? <laughs> yep. How dare. So one of the things <laughs> that I really, really enjoyed was the doctors rescuing Sarah from this tube thing, this this trick, this puzzle, and his cunning way of taking his pick and finding out how to get her out thoughts about that i'm keeping quiet yeah say that again because i didn't get the first part oh no, no no you're good so one of the things that i really enjoyed about this episode was this take your pick as i call it where sarah is is captured in this trivia thing that he's got to solve he either picks a button and kills her picks a button that releases her and he's got two mummies that he has yeah. to answer the question i oh, love the way he's figured it out what did you guys think you know what i'm i need to watch it again because i remember when that scene passed i was like huh <laughs> so i was i was trying to think but he uses the knowledge of one to solve the not to solve the riddle. Um, I'm sure it made sense, but I need to go back and watch it. It, it kind of confused me, to be honest. Well, it confused but it me, but I watched clever. it three times, and that's how <laughs> I figured it out. So don't feel bad. <laughs> well, and I wondered, the first time I saw this episode, does, doesn't everybody know this already? And, and looking back on it now, I think, of course, I was the kind of kid, you know, was always reading books of logic puzzles and things like that. So, so I had run across that exact logic puzzle before mm. and um and then since i saw that episode first i had seen the film labyrinth where they use the same thing uh. the, the exact same logic puzzle in a in a similar juncture you know the only way to free her is to ask this guard or you know what the other guard would say or whatever so i was wondering was it already a tired trope in 1975 or was it just hopeless nerds like me uh, who already knew this? I, what it did was it made me disappointed in, in Horace. I was saying, seriously? Or maybe you're just smarter than all of us because <laughs> well, I was like, huh? What? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I think Mr. Shackleford is exceptional. Yeah. So that's good news then because. Hey, Clarence, that's yeah, why it's he's not smart. It's just, hey, Clarence, that's why he's a Hugo Award nominated writer. So anyway. That's right. Ops. No, it's it's not smart to have read something before, you know. <laughs> just just because I'd run into it before doesn't. But but yeah, I do remember the first time I saw this, thinking that's the best you got, Horace. But but it is. It's and I was thinking, don't we actually do it again on Doctor Who? But we don't. Uh, what I was thinking of was um, Romanic gets uh, stuck into a tube like that again in a Remembrance of the Daleks. But it's uh, but there isn't a puzzle. There isn't a logic puzzle to get. So. I was con I was conflating those two things, but well, speaking of confusion, this was something mm. that I didn't get, and maybe my brain was tired. I don't know what what it was, but the ending was the only thing that I felt was a little. I don't want to call it anticlimactic, but I'll call it anticlimactic. It just kind of felt like it led to this big moment that just kind of was like. Let's run back to 1911 and press a button because the episode's over. 
and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying yeah. that's just kind of how I felt. Thoughts. Mm. It it felt like very phantom zone zony to me. Uh, if I'm if we're talking about the same thing here, are you talking about the fact that he just trapped? Yes. Um, Zutek yes. Exactly the, what I'm talking. Yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. I like that. I mean, I don't feel like it was overly clever or anything, but it's kind of what I expected. But I still enjoyed it uh, as a means to trap him because I think there's. He's already in this kind of null space, so why not just keep him there? And knowing who it is, I think yeah. your options are kind of limited, <laughs> what you could do. Right. And they they ask several times, how long do Osirens live? If, if Sutek is the only one left, then apparently they're not literally immortal. And so the doctor doesn't just phantom zone him, but he's he says he's pushed him forward into time, tens of thousands of years. So he does kill him. I mean, Sarah says, so he's dead really this time mm. but but yeah it's not it's not clear like um the way we see magnus Griel get uh, turned into kind of mush in talons of wing chiang it's a <laughs> it's not as satisfying a, a villain yeah. demise as, and maybe as that's my problem matter. maybe i'm just too vicious <laughs> well yeah i yeah, we wanted to see him suffer more but th- there is this other thing that um sutek says uh, you know i'm already sending out the wave and we assume it's traveling at the speed of light um to the, uh, the time cabinet, the sarcophagus thing that's back on Earth. Or, yes, because they're on this, right. And uh, that will take him from Egypt to England. And um, the doctor realizes he's still, he's actually still got a couple of minutes because of the, Sutek is limited there by the speed of light, but the TARDIS isn't. So that's how he gets there before Sutek mm-hmm. does. Nice. Oh, see, I missed that. And it, that makes it, that changes my opinion of what I just said. But, but it, it all goes... You're still right. You can you can tell that we're galloping to get the episode over because that all goes by so fast. That anyway, and he says two minutes, and you know, all of us who are interested in astronomy say, well, that depends on where the Earth was in relationship to Mars. Yeah, it, it could be a lot longer than that. Uh, but in whatever, it, well, I'm going from the latest Mars missions. I've been. Um, hearing about what well, it doesn't take 15 minutes to send a signal yeah hmm. and, and and we're we're in opposition we're actually closer to mars right now so so that number is bogus <laughs> they didn't know relative it's, it's okay. all relative it's just all relative indeed <laughs> i we barely well, got into the moon man come on indeed that is yeah. true so questioned no but we do but we do know what the speed of, yeah. we did know what the speed of light is and we did know how far away Mars yeah, was. yeah you're right you're right it, <laughs> so it definitely could have been calculated <laughs> uh, so i have a question about the imprisonment of sutek was that like an underlying message against capital punishment that this guy is the worst ever but we're not going to kill him we're just going to put him in a prison i don't know i kind of got that or it was an argument an argument for capital punishment, because in the end, the solution is you have to. <laughs> yeah, true, true. I mean, I'm serious. True. By the way, I wanted to make sure the Clarence caught this because we were trying to remember episodes in which the doctor's respiratory bypass system is mentioned. And this turns out to be one of yeah. them. And since you mentioned that a good piece of acting for Elizabeth Slayton, when she was checking for a heartbeat, she checked both oh, hearts. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Nothing. And you had mention of the TARDIS key and the one, one-to-one isometric controls, which I thought was cool as well. Mm-hmm. Indeed. That's right. 
And just as a side note, I messaged uh, or emailed Matthew before we started recording, about five minutes before we started recording, to let him know that we were introducing and reviewing the Pyramids of Mars, and he says that he's looking forward to it. So cool. He re- he just replied Excellent. about 10 minutes ago, or an this hour ago. You, see, see, the Mars and the uh, the Earth time messed up my email times. <laughs> <laughs> 10 minutes, one hour, well, same difference. <laughs> I know we've been going on and on for a while, but I wonder if I can share one other. Oh, thing. absolutely, sir. Go for it. Because this, this touches on me uh, in, a, in a strangely personal way. There actually are pyramids on Mars, Ooh. at least according to Richard Hoagland and the many conspiracy, conspiracy theorists that he's inspired uh, I think I think y'all know, but maybe not um, everybody in our audience. But because um, who cares? But years and years ago, I worked on a actually awful TV series. There was sort of a documentary show about UFOs, in the course of which I met a lot of the people who are sort of prominent in that field. And one of those people was Richard Hoagland. I found him to be a complete pompous a-hole. Um, <laughs> Exactly what you'd expect from somebody who has claimed that he's worked with people that he didn't work with, says he addressed the United Nations when he didn't, and he had a resume claiming NASA missions specialist when he certainly was not. Um, But before I knew all of that, I knew him as the Pyramids of Mars guy. And I thought that we'd bond because he's also famously a big Star Trek fan. He was one of the people who spearheaded the campaign to rename the first space shuttle, you know, which was called Constitution. But... um, the letter writing campaign succeeded in renaming it Enterprise. So that part of his life story turns out to be true. But yeah, you you got to know about this, even if you don't know Richard Hoagland. But at, in, the, in the 70s, he was looking at photos of Mars that were taken by like Mariner and probes that far back. And he spotted a gargantuan humanoid face in the region called Sidonia Planitia and pyramids, geometrically perfect pyramids. And he set out studying all these photographs and doing complex math, these calculations about all these things. And from this, he surmised a whole history of a now-vanished advanced civilization on Mars. (laughs) And he went further in several books and papers to propose that the ancient Martians were masters of what he called hyperdimensional physics. And I can tell you all that too sometime. And predictably, he said that the reason why the later NASA missions that have depicted, that have photographed the same area, right, uh-huh. um, and don't show the same things as the photos from the seventies. He says that's because um, there's a massive cover on our government uh-huh. because the pyramids of Mars are proof of extraterrestrial intelligent life, and our government wants to keep that secret themselves. Oh boy! And he kept on equating his conspiracy theory stuff with his love of Star Trek, which, to my mind, makes him an embarrassment <laughs> to Trek fans everywhere. <laughs> Made worse, and I know you'll appreciate this, Clarence, made worse by him publishing his conspiracy theories in a book that he titled The Monuments of Mars, A City on the Edge Forever. (laughs) Oh, God. God. Well, at least he didn't describe the Martians as having reptilian-type skin and dressing in green, um, you know, and in ice and all that good stuff. That's right. No, I guess the uh, they're at the poles, and uh, Sidonia Planitia is more about 30 degrees, but uh, yeah. 
but but yeah, he was saying that you know that there was it's clear that there was a, a super race on Mars millennia ago. So uh, maybe they're still under there. But you know what? Still under the surface. I'll take a line from the movie Contact that's just kept with me ever since. I'm not saying that's a good movie or a bad movie. I'm just saying it's just stayed with me ever since I watched it. It's one of my favorites. Oh, cool. Jodie Foster, right? Yeah. I love yeah. the movie. And the line says, if we are the only thing here, I'm paraphrasing, but basically if we're the only mm. thing that is here or that's out there, isn't that a lot of wasted space? Yeah. That's something Carl Sagan used to say often. And, I, and that's, I don't know, it's been, what, 20-something years since I've seen that movie probably, and it's still in my head. So. Mm. But well, you know what is not wasted space, gentlemen, is me to ask you, are there any other things that you guys want to cover before we get into our favorite quote? We've talked a couple of times about this strange thing on the series uh, that we love, that um, sometimes they'll arrive somewhere and then apparently immediately forget about the TARDIS. Uh, and this episode has one of those moments when uh, when Warlock gets shot. And they take him outside, and they go running around with him. The TARDIS is like 20 <laughs> feet away from where he was shot. <laughs> oh, boy. You go on. I'll never make it. I'm, I'm done for. <laughs> take him back inside. <laughs> so from what I read, the TARDIS console, the console room that they had built to be used at that time was very expensive to move around and as well as to set up. They then created yeah. another version that was less expensive and less cumbersome. And I think that played a role in why we did not see more of the inside of the TARDIS. Hmm. So Maybe so. All right. So any other things before favorite scene? All right. So we will move into favorite scene. And Lee, I will start with you. Favorite scene. What was your favorite scene? Well, I've been trying to figure out if this is my favorite scene or my favorite quote. It could be both. Maybe it's both. But we've talked before about one of the things that's consistent about the doctor in all of his incarnations is that he he sees the big picture and that other people can be frustrated with him because they're caught up in what's happening right now. And he's thinking about the larger scope of what's happening. And this episode, this this serial has one of my favorite examples of that in all of who uh, after Lawrence has been shot uh, by his brother. Mm. and uh, the doctor is going to go on and he's taking the robot up. And uh, Sarah says, that's horrible. He was so concerned about his brother. The doctor says, I told him not to be. I told him it was too late. Oh, sometimes you don't seem human. Mm. <laughs> A man has just been murdered. Four men, Sarah. Five, if you include Professor Scarman himself, and they're merely the first of millions, unless Sutek is stopped. Mm. I just love that. She's upset because the doctor seems to be callous about the guy who's just been killed. But he's saying millions, Sarah. <laughs> love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, I want to jump in before I move to Clarence on that one because that one was tied as my favorite scene. And we were, we are at scene. We're not at quote, right? Yeah, we're at scene. It was mm -hmm. tied, and it wasn't necessarily for the conversation. It was an acting thing that Tom Baker did that I thought was just so fourth doctor, but so well done. It is the way when he sees the dead body beside him and he just kind of moves it out of the way after he see, saw that he's dead and starts doing what he's yeah. doing. I just thought that that acting choice 
was so well done because it's almost funny. It's not funny, but it's like, mm-hmm. okay, out of my way. I'm not even, I'm on to something different. And I just thought that that was yeah. well played. And I'm sure that happened right in the spur of the moment. It's just, you know, it's, it's where the actor fell. Yes. But yeah, Tom just pushes him out of the way. Mm. All right, Clarence, favorite scene from you? I think I have a few, but I, the one I'm going to call out is when the doctor is admiring Lawrence's radio telescope. You know, he's like really giving him praise about, oh, you invented this and, you know, gives us some who no babble about it. But then he pulls out a little small version of the same thing. <laughs> so yeah. I just thought that was funny and cool at the same time. Bit of this cool gadget here, but here's another version from Here's the a better one. I still think it's cool, but right. here's, this is better. All right. So, Clarence, I'll start with you this time. Favorite quote? Uh, this is a quip from the doctor when he says, French pick lock never fails. It belonged to Mar- Marie Antoinette. Charming lady. Lost her head, poor thing. Wow. Cool. <laughs> she says so casually, like, <sighs> Yeah. A million people just didn't lose her head. One person did, right? You know that Henry. Right. <laughs> All right. Lee, favorite quote? Um, if it isn't in the speech that I just read, uh, I, I do like this little thing tossed off very casually. He was an Osiren with all their guile and ingenuity. They had dome-shaped heads and cerebrums like spiral staircases. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave you with there that you picture go. to ponder. All right. So mine doesn't require much pondering or thinking, but I just thought it was so cool. I shall mingle with the mummies, but I shan't linger. <laughs> just thought it was cool. That's right. All right. I will start with final rating. And I think for the fact of this will go down as probably one of the longest reviews that we've done in a while. And that mm-hmm. means that we enjoyed what we watched. I'm going to give wow. it a 4.75 mingling mummies. <laughs> All right, Lee, what say you? Similarly, I'm going to give it four and a half pyramid-shaped rockets. Mm, cool, good one. Clarence, what say you? 4.5 radio telescopes. Even better. Ooh. All right, well, Matthew, I hope you have enjoyed our review, and I hope everyone listening has enjoyed our review of the Pyramids of Mars. So, in closing, I will start, Clarence, with you. Where else can you be found on the internet, or what are you reading or watching that you would like to share? Um, you can check out uh, the Trek podcast we do at DiscussingTrek.com. And also, I'm into or watching currently The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is fabulous. So check that out on Disney+. Plus. Awesome. Lee Shackelford. Well, I hate to just uh, piggyback on, uh, on Clarence here, but... Um we were talking about shows that make you stop and think. I got to that, as we're recording this, the fifth episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier um, has aired. And uh, after it ended, I just sat on my sofa for a long time, just sort of staring into space. I, mm. It just um, it just knocked me out. It's, And I don't think that's what I was expecting from this show. I don't know what I was expecting, but um, yeah, I just cannot recommend it. Um, I'm... I just think the writing on Falcon and Winter Soldier has been extraordinary. Well, you, my friend, have inspired me. And I will say this right here, right now, that I think since the final episode, I think, is six episodes, which means Friday will be the finale, I am going to say that 
we need to include you in part two of our discussion of Falcon and Winter Soldier because I want to know more. I'm I'm intrigued. Oh, please, oh, please. Oh, please, oh, please. Okay, cool. Then it is done. So that means I get to say to everyone, since I didn't say anything about what to check out, just check out the Discussing Network and what am I watching. I'll add that too. Death in Paradise, two more episodes landed today. And I think this is when people are coming back. So I'm like super psyched about that. So for everyone listening, thank you. Thank you for spending time with us. We appreciate each and every one of you, your feedback, your time, your listening to every episode. You are appreciated. And with that, we will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com. 